0: Well, I should begin from what Rose said to say, retirement does not mean you die. (laughs) Did you know that? It simply means that you're free to listen to God's call in some fresh ways, and the discernment is not always easy. Um, But uh, ordination in the covenant is for life. So this is just a different stage of my pastoral ministry, and I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful for the invitation to preach God's story here at Sanctuary today. Um, We enjoy this as our home church and have for the last five years. I want to mention too that this is also the first time I've preached in jeans and a (laughs) t-shirt. But because of this road trip series, um, it seems that my typical comfy travel clothes are quite appropriate. Um, So I decided, especially to wear this T-shirt, we buy a lot of souvenirs that are wearable, usable kinds of things. But this T-shirt's in honor of the prophet Elijah. Um, The graphic shows a globe, there's a little tiny hiker up here on the top, and the words below say, walk on. So the topic I was given today for this part of the series road trip is rest stops and gas stations. Hmm. In the decades since Bob and I were married a long time ago, uh, we have driven tens of thousands of miles through 48 states and seven Canadian provinces, and we've stopped at such a wide variety of places to rest and to refuel. Speeding along on interstate highways and other byways across the states here, um, those sites, those rest stops and stations for refueling are often well-planned and well-spaced. But today, We need to slow down. We need to slow our pace as we follow Elijah on his walking journey, on routes where safe rest and adequate refueling are more challenging at times. But before we begin, let's consider the context during the time when Elijah was a prophet. In two Old Testament history books, First and Second Kings, we learn about more than 40 kings of Israel and Judah who reigned over a period of 400 years. However, many of the ups and downs of their political history are bypassed in Scripture for the purpose of tracking the relationships of these kings to the God of Israel. Over four centuries of good kings and bad kings, God keeps calling various prophets, prophets to speak the word of God into one crisis situation after another. The good prophets speak the truth about current events from God's perspective, and they speak out about consequences when kings ignore their relationship to the living God. Now, Elijah's journey zigs and zags west and east across the northern kingdom of Israel, and then north to Sidon and way south into Judah. Though we may be tempted to focus on Ahab or a few other people that Elijah encounters along the way, it is actually God who is the main character of these stories, this narrative from beginning to end. Keep that in mind. Today I'll be sharing some of, not quite all, but a chunk of Elijah's travel stories from 1 Kings chapters 16, 17, and 19. I'm reading from the message today, a contemporary paraphrase by the biblical scholar Eugene Peterson. As a prequel, 1 Kings 16, 29-33, describes the situation in the northern kingdom of Israel just before God calls Elijah to begin his journey as a prophet. Hear the word of the Lord. Ahab, son of Omri, was king over Israel for 22 years. He ruled from Samaria. Ahab, king, the son of Omri, excuse me, we had an Omni a long time ago. (laughs) Ahab, son of Omri, (laughs) did even more open evil before God than anyone yet. He was a new champion in evil. It wasn't enough for him to copy the sins of King Jeroboam. No, King Ahab went all out. First by marrying Jezebel, daughter of King Ethbal, of the Sidonians, and then by serving and worshiping the god Baal. He built a temple for Baal in Samaria and then furnished it with an altar for Baal. Even worse, he went on and built a shrine to the female goddess Asherah. Ahab made the God of Israel angrier than all the previous kings of Israel put together. So King Ahab not only marries Jezebel, but together they merge the worship of God with the worship of Baal, a practice called syncretism. This is a blatant violation of God's first and second commandments. And it becomes even worse with the heartbreaking violation of the sixth commandment, whenever children are sacrificed to Baal. No wonder God is angry with Ahab. So God calls a new prophet, Elijah, to walk from the little village of Tishbe, across the Jordan River, and all the way west, across the kingdom of Israel, right into Ahab's center of power in Samaria. Elijah obeys God's call without question. He arrives at the king's palace, and he delivers a sharp prophetic warning to Ahab. Reading from First kings, kings 17, chapter, or verse 1, excuse me, 17.1. Elijah the Tishbite from among the settlers of Gilead confronted King Ahab. As surely as God lives, the God of Israel before whom I stand in obedient service, the next years are going to see a total drought, not a drop of dew or rain unless I say otherwise. Because Baal is revered as the god of fertility, Elijah's unexpected forecast of drought is a threat to Ahab and Jezebel. Failing crops and the resulting famine will cause economic and religious disaster in the kingdom. Lack of rain will call the question, which deity is more reliable through drought and famine. Will Baal or the God of Israel be able to send rain and renew the crops? Elijah is asserting in this terse comment that he makes that God is not asleep like Baal during the dry seasons. This God is the creator This God is the one whose word calls forth and sustains life, providing sun and rain and food for all living things. The story turns from the king and from his idol to focus on God's care for Elijah, especially as he walks into drought and famine. God provides unexpected resting places, and not gas stations, but sources of food that sustain Elijah during each part of his journey as this drought continues. It's good for us to pause and to consider a few parallels to our journey through life. On whom do we rely when we find ourselves facing dry seasons? How has God sustained us in unexpected ways when our route through life zigs and zags differently than the direct route that we planned for ourselves? Let's read more from 1 Kings 17, verses 2 through 6. Elijah, or God then told Elijah, get out of here and fast. Head east and hide out in the Kareth ravine on the other side of the Jordan River. You can drink fresh water from the brook. I've ordered ravens to feed you. Elijah obeyed God's orders. He went and camped in the Careth Canyon on the other side of the Jordan. And sure enough, ravens brought him both breakfast and supper, and he drank from the brook. So after Elijah risks speaking on God's behalf to forecast drought, for some reason he's no longer welcome in Samaria. The Bible reminds us that prophets are sent by God and often rejected, even killed So, God immediately sends Elijah back across, back east across the Jordan to an isolated ravine, a safe rest stop. God is actively protecting this new prophet, for Elijah's obedience is in direct contrast to King Ahab. Pause to consider has God ever guided you to a safe place to rest after a time of challenge? Has your obedience to God ever been a risky witness to those who resist God? Now, notice that the first gas station offers raven food. Have you found that lately? In this ravine, the creek supplies life-giving water. And God has ordered ravens to serve both breakfast and supper for Elijah. Yes, ravens. Those unclean scavengers are bringing two meals a day, and you can be sure that it's not sausage and eggs in the morning and burgers and fries for supper. Not. The menu is more likely to be rancid roadkill and moldy bread from the garbage cans or under the picnic tables, and whatever other edible discards can be found, no matter their condition. It's the best food these ravens have to offer, and it's enough to sustain Elijah's needs day after day. Many years ago, during a long wait for my next pastoral call, I began to realize that God was sending raven food to sustain me. Some folks called me directly, and others were referred to me. I had plenty of time to sit and listen as they shared experiences with me, as they shared experiences that were often smelly and rancid and stale and moldy and sad and even tragic. We talked about broken relationships. We talked about harsh feelings, and old and festering wounds, and deep hunger for healing. The phrase, but God, was often where the tale turned, where people would conclude their roadkill stories, with a witness about God's care and provision for them in totally surprising ways during the hardest of times. As I cared for them by listening, I learned so much about God's faithfulness from those ravens whom God had sent to sustain me. Those rancid, moldy stories of God's provision cared for my needs during that dry season of my life. It was good. Smelly, but good. So pause to consider. Has God ever sent you off to be alone and to wait for a while? Has God ever sent ravens to nourish you? Now, when Elijah's source of water disappeared, God sent him northwest. Northwest to the village of Zarephath. Back across the Jordan again. And this was rest stop number two on his journey. Let's read from 1 Kings 17, verses 7 through 16. Eventually, the brook dried up because of the drought. Then God spoke to him, get up and go to Zarephath in Sidon and live there. I've ordered a woman who lives there, a widow, to feed you. So he got up and went to Zarephath. As he came to the entrance of the village, he met a woman, a widow, gathering firewood. He asked her, please, would you bring me a little water in a jug? I need a drink. As she went to get it, he called out, and while you're at it, while you're at it, would you bring me something to eat? She said, I swear, as surely as your God lives, I don't have so much as a biscuit. I have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a bottle. You found me scratching together just enough firewood to make a last meal for my son and me. After we eat it, we'll die. Elijah said to her, don't worry about a thing. Go ahead and do what you said, but first make a small biscuit for me and bring it back here. Then go ahead and make a meal from what's left for you and your son. This is the word of the God of Israel. The jar of flour will not run out, and the bottle of oil will not become empty before God sends rain on the land and ends this drought. And she went right off and did it, just as Elijah asked. And it turned out as he said. Daily food for her and her family. The jar of flour did not run out, and the bottle of oil did not become empty, God's promise fulfilled to the letter exactly as Elijah had delivered it. Again, Elijah has obeyed without question, walking right into the kingdom of Sidon, Jezebel's home territory. Remember? How odd of God to send Elijah there. How odd to send him to the home of a poor widow and his son and her son, two of the least and last considered people, those who most feel the effects of famine so acutely. Baal has certainly not helped this widow and her son. She is scavenging firewood, and she is literally ready to scrape the bottom of the barrel to prepare their last supper. When Elijah arrives, and he arrives telling them that God has sent him with B&B reservations, she must have been amazed to hear Elijah say, oh, don't worry, the God of Israel will provide for you until God sends more rain. So will she continue to believe in Baal? Or will she risk believing that Elijah's God might be able to sustain life for her and her son? Pause to consider. Might God send you to someone struggling with poverty to provide what you need? In whom do you trust when you are scraping bottom? So we find biscuits at gas station number two. The widow responds by making the first little biscuit for Elijah. And then she finds that there's enough to make a few more biscuits for her son and herself. And each day there's enough to make biscuits to feed all three of them. It's during this time of rest and refueling in enemy territory that God prepares Elijah for his next big encounter with Ahab and Baal. We're not going to read from chapter 18 today, and you've probably heard sermons preached just on 18, because it details the big success story in the life of the prophet Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. This is a huge and dramatic moment, with Elijah confronting 450 prophets of Baal by speaking and acting on behalf of God. Baal is unresponsive. But all the people see God's power and end up shouting, the Lord is the real God, the Lord is the real God. That's quite a miracle, isn't it? After all the prophets of Baal are killed, then come clouds and winds and a huge rainstorm. What a success for God's prophet Elijah. But let's read what happens right after that in 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 8. Later, King Ahab reported to Queen Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the massacre of the prophets of Baal. Jezebel immediately sent a messenger to Elijah with her threat. The gods will get you for this, and I'll get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any one of those prophets. So when Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life to Beersheba, far in the south of Judah, He left his young servant there and then went on into the desert for another day's journey. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all, to just die. Enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom bush. Suddenly, an angel shook him awake and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and to his surprise, right by his head were a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate the meal and went back to sleep. The angel of God came back a second time, shook him awake again, and said, get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. So he got up, ate and drank his fill. So rest stop number three is a lone broom bush in the desert. This time, Elijah didn't wait for God's call to move on. This time, he learns that great success as a prophet is often followed by a furious reaction from those in power. Terrified of Jezebel's anger and the threat of retribution, Elijah runs down Mount Carmel, fearing for his life, running south into Judah, running far into the desert. Exhausted, he finally finds one solitary bush and decides that it's time to give up. His brief prayer of frustration is the first time that Elijah speaks directly to God. Enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to die. In the desert, there are no signs of God's presence or provision. No stream, no ravens, no widow. It's a hopeless situation. So Elijah curls up under this scrawny bush and falls asleep. Pause and consider. Has anyone here ever been terrified and cried out to God in hopeless frustration? Is God willing to stay close and sustain us even when we run away, far away? Yes. For God provides special food at gas station number three out in the desert. Even in the wilderness, God sends a messenger to Elijah, nudging him awake, offering food and water not once, but twice, and speaking to prepare him for the long journey south. Who is this nameless messenger? God must have sent this caregiver, Sometimes such messengers are called angels, and they refresh us with unexpected gifts and encouragement. So pause to consider. Has God ever sent someone with angel food when you were frustrated and ready to give up? In conclusion, let's read first Kings 19, 8 through 12. Nourished by that meal, Elijah walked 40 days and nights all the way to the mountain of God, to Mount Horeb. When he got there, he crawled into a cave and went to sleep. Then the word of God came to him. So Elijah, what are you doing here? I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies, said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Then he was told, go stand on the mountain at attention before God, and God will pass by a hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before god but god wasn't to be found in the wind after the wind and earthquake but god wasn't in the earthquake and after the earthquake fire but god wasn't in the fire and after the fire a gentle and quiet voice and elijah heard the quiet voice of God. So rest stop number four is a cave on Mount Horeb. Elijah comes to Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai. This is where Moses met God. Perhaps even the same cave where God and Moses talked. And despite distractions from great winds, Powerful earthquakes and blazing fire. This time, God speaks to Elijah in the thinnest possible sound. So quiet and gentle that God's voice is barely a whisper. And today, the Lord has also been whispering into our hearts. Have we been listening carefully? For God's quiet, gentle call to direct us on the next part of our journey? Are we trusting God to sustain us no matter where we are sent, no matter what we are called to say or to do? Let us pray. Thank you, O God, for guiding us on our journey through life thus far thank you for your faithful presence as you call us in and out of such a variety of situations And whenever we pause to rest and refuel thank you for providing for our needs in unexpected ways and through surprising people help us lord to hear your voice amidst all the other noises around us and within us help us to listen and to obey as you whisper gently and quietly. In Jesus' name we pray.